<laughs> that nice velvet bass bringing us into the 10th episode of the Cycling with Watts podcast. Thanks for tuning in for episode number 10. It's kind of a milestone, I would say. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, uh, joining me on this journey. So 10 episodes in, what is the Cycling with Watts podcast? Well, I am here to try to get you out on your bike more by bringing you inspiration from the pro peloton so that you can ride just like the pros, giving you maintenance tips on how to keep that bike running as smoothly as possible so you can go out and ride more, bringing you all the best tech news to get you inspired to buy more things to put on your bike because when we buy more things, we tend to use them and bike more, at least I do, so I love buying new things. I'll bring that all that stuff to you. And then training tips on how to optimize your training and make you a better cyclist all around. And then anything else that comes with the cycling world. That's what I am here to do and share all of that knowledge because I am learning every single day and I want to share it with you guys. So this is episode 10. We're going to wrap up the Vuelta. We're going to get into some transfer news. Some big stuff is going on, I would say. Get into a little bit of tech news with a new bike from Live go on to maintenance we're going to talk all about brake pads they're a very small thing but they have such an important part on the bike when to replace them can you use carbon brake pads on aluminum alloy wheels we'll get into it lastly we're going to wrap it up with training tips we're going to talk about indoor cycling today because sadly enough game of thrones winter is winter is coming it's very close so we're going to talk about indoor training so boom let's play that orchestra music and roll us into the show who is sitting right behind me playing all of those velvety smooth notes just kidding but i am jared watts the host of this podcast and it's episode 10 and we're going to get straight into uh the vuelta with pro news and so the vuelta espana has wrapped up and if you go back to my vuelta preview show i did pick the winner so i am going to give myself some props on that i also picked the two time trial winners which was uh the same person rohan dennis of team bmc so i gotta give myself some pretty big brownie points for that some big kudos for that because i'm basically just like a cycling pro racing genius i would say or oracle or seer whatever you want to call me you can call me it because i predicted the winner now not that i was going off on a limb by any means saying that uh, simon yates of mitchelton scott was going to win the Vuelta, but still, it's tough in a three-week race to predict the winner because so many random things can happen. And yes, Simon Yates in the Redemption Tour redeemed his season in a way by winning the Vuelta España. Jeez, I was going to say a W and a V, back-to-back words. That was tough for me to get out of my mouth. But yes, he is the winner of the Vuelta España, taking red in Madrid. So congrats to Simon Yates of Mitchelton Scott and this is a huge win for him at uh, 26 years old this is his first Grand Tour win we knew that him and his brother were going to be strong riders because they've both won the young riders classification in the Tour de France they've been the leaders of their team at Mitchelton Scott for a couple years now and Simon Yates had a great Giro except for in the third week earlier in 2018 as he basically just fell apart in the last week of that Grand Tour and Chris Froome 
snag the win there, but he definitely showed signs of that he could be a Grand Tour winner, and he did it now. He is a Grand Tour winner. Simon Yates, Mitchelton Scott, he's done it, and, th- and that's awesome for for Simon Yates, and I'm glad that he was able to redeem himself in a way in this tour. But how did how did he do it, and why did he lose the Giro? One of, one of the biggest things was that him and his team said that, that he expended too much energy early on in the race of that Giro because he was taking away minutes, seconds when he could, pushing a little bit harder just so he could keep clawing away at that lead, which was a smart strategy, except for he just didn't have the legs then in the third week of that tour. Chris Froome did, Tom Dumoulin did as well, taking second place, and uh, those two two rode away, but Chris Froome ultimately rode away from everybody else winning that that tour. And so now in the Volta, I guess one of the big things was was limiting how much he was going to attack, how much he was going to take away those seconds. And he, he you know, he did a good job. In stage four, there was a little bit of a surprise because he broke away, took away some seconds on those leaders there. But in the end, it worked out for him, and he was able to save enough energy that he would still have it through those three weeks of the Vuelta. And I, I guess we see this a lot with younger riders when they do have Grand Tour expectations or we think that they're going to be a Grand Tour winner. They can put it together for two weeks, but then that third week hampers them because they just don't have the experience. They don't have the legs. They attack too much at the beginning because too much excitement, and they just don't have what it takes to put it all together for those three weeks. But Simon Yates did it, and he did it behind a very good team. I thought uh, Mitchell and Scott rode really well for Yates and another big part was his uh, twin brother Adam Yates who basically wasn't seen in the first two weeks of the race he sat back at the back of the peloton you know he made it under the time cuts he did what he needed to do so that he would have as much energy to be that super domestique for his brother coming into that third week and it played out brilliantly as uh, he was able to put it all together and keep wearing red at the end in Madrid so congrats to Simon Yates also Simon Yates British rider, Chris Froome won the Giro, Garen Thomas won the Tour, and now Simon Yates winning the Vuelta. So the last three Grand Tours, all won by British riders. So congrats to British Cycling in that regard, who has, I mean, with Team Sky, has dominated the Grand Tours as of late, but only two other countries have won all three Grand Tours in one year. And according to Global Cycling Network, GCN, they're the only country to do it with three different riders. So again, congrats to, uh, to British Cycling for dominating the world tour level on the Grand Tours this year. And sticking with British Cycling, Bradley Wiggins, the very first British cyclist to win the Tour de France back in 2012, made a statement that Simon Yates would not have won the Volta if he was on Team Sky, which I think is very interesting, and I'll, I'll get more on that later. And I agree with Bradley Wiggins that he wouldn't have won the Volta if he was on Team Sky just because of the depth that Team Sky has. And when the Yates brothers you know, originally joined with Orica Scott, it was kind of said that Team Sky missed out on them, and maybe they did, but I don't think the Yates wanted to go there anyways. They wanted to lead their own team, and they were going to get, you know, kind of hidden under a mass amount of talent, which Team Sky has produced a mass amount of talent over the past couple of years, winning a ton of Grand Tours, specifically the uh, the Tour de France. And so, yes, I agree that he would not have won the Volta if he was on Team Sky, but I also believe if Team Sky wanted to win the Volta this year, they would have won it. 
I mean, they had the firepower to do it. And Mihail Kwiatkowski did wear red early on in the Volta, but if the if Team Sky wanted to win the Volta, I think they would have won the Volta with Chris Froome, Garen Thomas, whoever would have had the legs, I think they could have done it. And so I, I think that's kind of twofold. If, if he was on Team Sky, no, he probably wouldn't have won the Volta because he would have been shrouded under a bunch of other talent. But then also if Team Sky wanted to win the Volta this year in 2018, I think they could have if they wanted to. They're that good that I think they can pick and choose what they want to win and what they don't want to win. Now, if we're talking about one-day classics race and stuff like that, but when it comes to a Grand Tour, Team Sky is dominated. they got to figure it out for these past couple of years. So I think if they wanted to win the Volta, they would have. So, yes, I agree with Bradley Wiggins, but kind of disagree at the same time. And not that I really want to disagree with Bradley Wiggins because he's awesome and he has amazing sideburns. always love that about him. So, yes, that's kind of a, that's kind of it for the Volta. It was a very exciting three-week race. Lots of things went on. I think one of the big takeaways, too, from the Volta was kind of disappointment from, from Movistar. This is their home turf race, you could say, and with Alejandro Valverde and Nairo Quintana, Valverde was definitely up there for a majority of the race. So surprised to not see him on the podium. Nairo Quintana flirted with it, but never really held on strong. And so kind of disappointing to see Movistar not put it all together, especially because they brought on Landa, Mikel Landa, earlier on this year to have kind of that three-pronged attack at the Tour de France with Alejandro Valverde, Nairo Quintana, and Landa. But never put it together there. Landa, unfortunately, got hurt, wasn't able to race in the Vuelta. But with Alejandro Valverde and Nairo Quintana, still couldn't even put somebody up on the podium in their home race. It really had high hopes. I, I figured Nairo Quintana would be up on that podium and striking for the win, but he never really was. Alejandro Valverde was definitely their top place rider throughout the race. And he, he did have a very strong race, especially for being a 38 year old. He did an incredible job, but still disappointing to see Movistar not be able to put it together. So I think their next big race will be the tour. Nairo Quintana's already confirmed for the most part that he'll be riding the tour next year. And so that's kind of the next chance for them to showcase who they are and hopefully put together a win. I'd like to see a, another team definitely vying for that. I think Tom DeMoulin is the best chance to unseat Chris Froome or Garen Thomas, whoever that person is going to be for the coming Grand Tours, as he's proven to be really strong throughout a three-week tour. He can climb, and he can be a time trialist. And the, those are the keys to winning a Grand Tour. I thought the Volta was interesting this year, as there wasn't that standout GC guy who could be a time trialist, but you also had Adam, or Simon Yates, excuse me, who's a very good climber, and he put it together over those three weeks, had a good team around him, and, uh, you know, there wasn't a, a team time trial, and, and he did good in his individual team time trial, and so that's kind of a big difference between this year's Tour de France and the Vuelta was that team time trial aspect of it, which can make a huge difference on your overall placing, but he, he, he put it together without being you know, kind of a, he's not a, uh, I wouldn't say Chris Froome, Tom Dumoulin, Primoz Roglic are specialists in the time trial, but definitely for GC contenders, they are world-class, world-class in the time trial. You know, Rohan Dennis, he is a time trial specialist for sure, not necessarily a GC guy. But to not have any GC guys be like super strong time trialists and still win a Grand Tour is a big deal, I think. So, that's what we got on the Volta. Very exciting to see Simon Yates take his first Grand Tour win. I think he's got a long cycling career ahead of him, along with Adam Yates and his brother. And congrats to Mitchelton Scott as well. 
And then also, Elia Viviani won the last stage, stage 21, in Madrid. Four quick set floors. Who's been absolutely dominating this year? Quick set floors is like they, they have so they have like 60 some plus wins this year. And Elia Viviani, I think he's got 17, 18 wins just himself this year. So congrats to Elia Viviani. I would love to see him in some rainbow colors. Unfortunately, he's probably not going to get that chance as the world's is a hilly course and going to be suited towards climbers, which that's our next big race coming up Sunday, September 30th in Innsbruck, Austria, and I will be doing a full preview show of that. Probably going to pick the winner again because I picked the winner of the Vuelta because I am just that much of a cycling genius. I am definitely not. I just steal what other people think. Just kidding. I don't do that. But, yes, that is the next big pro race coming up. Looking forward to that Sunday, September 30th in Innsbruck, Austria. We'll be doing a preview show for that. So what else is going on? in the world of pro cycling. Well, there's some transfer news out there. A couple interesting notes, I would say, as a rally, team rally. the Probably the best American team now that UHC so far is, is not going to be picked up at the end of next year. I know that they're still looking for a main sponsor so that they'll be able to race in 2019. But team rally signed Svein. Tuft, he's a Canadian, and he'll be moving over from Mitchelton Scott, and he is uh, he's coming over to the team to kind of share his wealth of knowledge. He's been in the Grand Tour, been in almost all the Grand Tours. He has been on the World Tour level for a long time now, so he's bringing over a lot of maturity and can bring over a lot of knowledge for rally cycling, who's you know more and more becoming a, a dominant American team but then looking to break over onto that world tour scene as well. So he'll bring over a lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge with him. And uh, some of his accolades are he took second in the time trial worlds in 2008, wore pink in the Giro in the 2014 Giro for Scott. So I'll be looking forward to seeing Tuft with rally this year. Team sky is going to be losing one of their riders who is Polish moving over to the newly formed Polish team of CCC and I am probably going to butcher this name, but we're going to take our best shot at it. Lukasic Wisnowski. I thought that was pretty good. So he is moving over from Team Sky over to Team CCC. He will be a strong help for Greg Van Avermaet in that uh, classic season as Team CCC is looking to build a strong classic season team around Greg Van Avermaet. And he... Uh, he raced two years with uh, Team Sky, and one of his most notable, let's say, race wins was at the 2018 Omloop, where he took second there. So definitely looking strong in the classic season, and he will be a key for Greg Van Avermaet there, who also has Alessandro DeMarchi and Joey Roskop, who are staying on the team, and then they're getting new signees like Simon Geschke, Jacob Marisco, and Serge Pauls. So they are definitely building a strong classics team who else we got well we got a new german moving over to bora hansgro he is max schmaumann he's a german rider moving over from quick step floors and will be he's a young guy so it'll be good to see him uh go under the wings of some other you know great german riders over at bora hansgro such as marcus Berghardt, 
And so he will be moving over there from Quickset Floors. And then what else we got? These aren't transfers, but they are definitely very, very interesting. And to me, are the most interesting kind of transfer news so far. And so Wout Van Aert is terminating his contract with his team, Verandas Williams Kralin. Which is very interesting because Wout Van Aert, the cyclocross you know, superstar, has been the face of that team. And so you would think that they'd be treating their top rider, the face of that team. He's really put them on on the scene there in the cyclocross realms, that they would be treating that rider with the utmost respect. But uh, he doesn't feel like he's been treated that great. And so he is terminating his contract mainly because Williams Kralin is merging with the team Rumpart next year. And Wow Van Aert feels like he was left out of that. Basically, he wasn't told what was going on. Don't know the whole story, but he, he didn't feel like he was a part of that decision, wasn't a part of any of that for that 2019 decision. And so Wow Van Aert is leaving. And this was just, just came out yesterday, or sorry, two days ago on Monday. We're recording this on a Wednesday. So don't know the whole, I don't know if this is going to take him out of the 2018 cyclocross season, if he's switching teams, you know, in a week, or I don't exactly know how this is going to play out for the, the young 23-year-old Belgian, but it's very interesting. He's just leaving his team. I really haven't seen this just in the middle of his biggest cycle you know his biggest season is cyclocross and he's just he's done he's done with their team so that sucks <laughs> that really really sucks for that team and I don't know what they did to anger him that much or leave him out of contract negotiations but he he looks like he you know he's already proven himself in the cyclocross realms but he did you know well he raced a couple of the classics this year and he's looking like to be he could be the next big classic star depending on what team he goes with and what team they can surround around him. So that sucks. I feel bad for them, but then also don't. If they screwed him, then they kind of deserve it. And then also coming out of the rumor mill, and this is rumor, definitely nothing has been confirmed here. Not like Wout, who did say, yes, I'm done. I just don't know how it's going to play out. But McLaren, the big car, I don't know. Are they like a car? They're not a car manufacturer, but McLaren with Mercedes, Definitely in the Formula One racing side, there's been rumor that they could be the next sponsor for Bahrain Merida team. And Mark Cavendish, who's writing for Dimension Data, his contract with Dimension Data is ending at the year. And he hasn't been on the best terms with the uh, with management in the past couple months. Don't exactly know the whole story behind that, but we know from articles and reading stuff and comments that Cav has made and comments that management has made that there is definitely something not going right there and they're not happy with each other so it's probably likely that we're going to see cab be moving away from team dimension data at the end of the year just whether or not where he will be going but speculated right now that if mclaren is that sponsor for bahrain merida could we see cab going over to bahrain merida because of mclaren don't know don't know but it is definitely hot hot rumor hot gossip and uh, I would like to see Cab return back to his form he's had a very poor season and ending the season early because of bar Epstein virus he's been plagued by some crashes this year 
and just has seemed very off form. And I love the Cav. I think he, the Manx Missile is very exciting to watch. I'd love to see him break the uh, Eddie Merckx's record of stages one at the Tour de France. So I'd love to see him come back to some kind of form for, you know, at least a year, if not two years. So hopefully a new team, a new start, a new bike. You never know what, what's going to do the trick for getting him back on par with his old self, but I'd love to see that. And McLaren, it makes super sweet cars or whatever they do with cars. It, they look sweet. They do really well in Formula One. So I think that'd be interesting to see as well if they become a new sponsor, as we're seeing a lot of other sponsors pull out of pro cycling. See a new co- new one come in would be great, I think, overall for the sport. So that's all I got for pro news this week. So we ran through the Volta Simon Yates takes that. Got some interesting transfer news stuff. Uh, my, my biggest excitement is for rally cycling because U.S. team here, and uh, I'm based out of Minnesota in the U.S., and they are also based out of it, so kind of more of a connection with rally cycling, so I'm excited to see them sign a guy like Tuff. And then, you know, rumor mill, Walt Van Aert leaving his team and possibly seeing Cav moving to teams, both of them because they have problems with management so that's it we're going to transition over into tech news which we got a new bike from Liv who Liv is giant but Liv is the woman's brand for that and they have the advanced pro zero disc and oh gosh does this bike look sweet please go look up this bike there's a great article on it on bicycling.com and the paint job on this is absolutely spectacular it's probably second to Peter Sagan's Venge disc that came out this year because that paint job probably beats any other paint job that I've really ever seen. But this paint job on the Advanced Pro Zero disc is absolutely incredible. It's got this great matte black finish with stripes of almost holographic, say kind of a green-blue teal coming out just underneath the seat post so kind of you know where the top tube seat tube combined to make that point of that triangle it's almost like rays of sunlight bursting out over onto the seat post and a little bit on the chainstay of this teal holographic color and it is absolutely stunning so good job to live just making this absolutely beautiful beautiful bike comes in at 18 pounds comes stock with shimano altegra di2 of course it's all carbon disc brake tubeless tubeless tires on there so i definitely think we're seeing a trend towards tubeless tires and giant has already come out with a couple bikes that are that have tubeless tires on them so this bike looks absolutely sweet and please you've got to go look at this go look at it online because it is one of the most beautiful bikes I have ever seen on there you can read more about the bike but it's also got this great bar wrap tape that has like three different colors in it it's like half metallic half matte black with some teal woven in there so an absolute beautiful bike like I said this is coming from uh, coming from Liv who is the woman's side of giant bikes beautiful bike awesome so any women listening go buy this bike right now it's actually not too bad a price you know it comes in at five thousand six hundred dollars which for an all aero bike of you know of this stature disc brakes that's it's not terrible five thousand dollars is a lot 
lot of money. I totally understand that. But some of those aero bikes are starting to get in the ten, twelve thousand dollar range, and that is a lot of money for a bike. Even for someone who loves bikes, that's too much money to spend on a bike. Personal opinion, totally personal opinion. But that's what I got for you. So not not a lot else happening in the in the, uh, the tech world. Interbike is going on right now or just finished up. Nothing too big coming out of there yet. So I'm hopeful we'll get some uh, get some look at some sneak peek stuff coming out of Interbike, and we'll see some good tech coming out of there. Otherwise, not a whole lot going on. So we're going to transition on over into maintenance, and we're talking about brake pads today. And I'm going to stick mainly on rim caliper brake pads as we can get down a whole nother rabbit hole going into disc brake pads and what that looks like. But rim caliper brake pads, when to replace them, what should you look for, all of that stuff. Because braking is so important to your overall ride quality, your ride feel. I think it even helps with how fast you are going if you're able to stop quicker I think you can get going that much quicker. Also, precise braking, especially when you are out in bad weather, is super, super important. Also, descending, it is super important to be able to touch that brake right at the right moment and have it respond exactly how you want it to respond. So what are we looking at when we're going to replace brake pads? Well, there is usually a wear line indicator on brake pads. And that wear line indicator basically means if it is getting close to this line, you should replace if it is at this line, you should definitely replace. And if it is past that line, like, don't ride your bike. <laughs> don't ride your bike if it is past that line. And that that line is a great indicator. But if you're getting close to that line, I would really recommend getting new brake pads. And when you get new brake pads, you should pr- probably also be looking at getting a new brake cable and brake housing if you haven't had that replaced before you replace your brake pads. Now, brake pads can definitely last a long time. And then another common question is, can you use brake pads that are for alloy rims on carbon rims or vice versa? Or why is there two different compounds? And the answer is no, 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 no. Do not use alloy brake pads on carbon rims, especially if especially if they have already been used with an alloy wheel. So one maintenance tip with brake pads in general, whether or not, whether it doesn't matter the compound, but especially with alloy rims, is to check those brake pads for little bits of metal, little chunks and stuff sitting in those brake pads because over time, little bits of metal can be caught in those brake pads You just want to get those out to optimize your braking performance, but then also to increase the longevity of the braking surface on your rim. So if you've already used those brake pads with an alloy rim, you pop a carbon wheel in there, you are just going to absolutely scratch the crap out of that braking surface on that carbon rim. So do not mix and match those. And then... Likewise, don't put carbon brake pads on an alloy rim because you're just not going to get the same braking service. Now you don't have, you know, you don't have as much to worry about from actually ruining the alloy rim as you do from using brake pads that have been used on an alloy rim on a carbon rim. But just do not mix the two. So if you're looking at buying carbon wheels, 
also bear in mind that you will have to swap out brake pads and, and, and put that into the cost of your carbon wheels because, I don't know, carbon brake pads are in that $25 range, I believe, roughly, for one set of them. So, you know, they are a little bit pricey. And uh, they, they go up in price depending on the quality, but you're probably going to be at the minimum of that $25. So that's $50. And that can really, you know, play an impact of whether or not you're going to buy an $800 or $900,000, $1,400 set of carbon wheels. So do factor that in. And then same with carbon wheels. Just inspect that brake pad often. Make sure that that brake pad is not hitting that wear line or you're not getting too close to whatever that shell that is holding that rubber compound in there. So to recap here, never, never take alloy brake pads and use them on carbon wheels. There are specific brake pads for rim caliper brakes for carbon wheels. Do not mix and match. The only, only time I would say that you can mix and match is and even this I, I wouldn't I still wouldn't do it is if you are in a race and you need to swap out a wheel set but my guess is you're going to be racing on carbon wheels and you are going to swap in an alloy wheel and then what you want to do is don't use those brake pads then again on the carbon wheel set swap out those brake pads so if you and that's the only time i would ever say that it's acceptable to do that is in a race because you're only going to be using it for a short time you really don't have another option but at the end of that race do not use those brake pads again on a carbon wheel so that's the biggest takeaway and then second look for that maintenance line when you get new brake pads installed look for them on your bike right now but also if you don't have a wear line on there look to see how closely or how much breaking, how much rubber compound you have left? Basically, if you have, what do they start at? Probably two, three millimeters in width, and that's what they come new. If you're down to that millimeter less, then be looking to, sorry, I should say centimeter, not millimeter, two to three centimeters. If you're getting down to a centimeter or less, you should be looking to replace that. Or if it's getting too much to whatever is holding that in there, some uh, whatever that metal backing is, if it's getting too close to that. And then lastly, try to pick out little pieces of metal if you're using alloy rims. Pick out little pieces of metal, maybe little rocks, debris, and stuff like that will get stuck up in there. And that is going to affect your braking surface, but then also going to take away, well, it's going to affect your performance, and then it could chip away at that rim. And then do also look at your braking surface on your rim. Give that a cleaning with either like Dawn Dish Soap is a good one, or I use Muck Off bike cleaning spray and just clean the the surface of that braking uh, on the rim that braking surface on the rim give that a nice clean make sure that is free of any kind of gunk or anything sticky like that or any little bits of usually rocks and stuff or pebbles won't get stuck into the rim but definitely the braking surface will get stuck into the rim so then you want to clean that bits of rubber compound out of there as well to make sure you're getting as efficient of a braking surface as possible also, if you're hearing any squeaking with your brakes, there can be different reasons that cause that. But, you know, simply just giving that braking surface a good clean can also take away those squeaky noises. So that's what you got for maintenance. Let's pop on over to training. And like I said, Game of Thrones winter is coming. In Minnesota right now, it's been super rainy, and I'm getting a new indoor trainer, and I'm getting the Wahoo 
Kicker Core, which is a direct drive trainer. And so we'll, I'll walk through a little bit of the different kind of trainers, indoor trainers that you can buy, then how to use them indoors, and why is it important to have an indoor trainer. So the different types of trainers that you can get. Smart trainers, non-smart trainers. Smart trainers can hook up via Bluetooth, via Ant connection, so that you can use third-party apps such as Zwift. And also, smart trainers can adapt to your training without having to manually adjust those basically hardness levels of them. So smart trainers, non-smart trainers. And then from there, you have trainers that have basically a rolling wheel on the back. So you actually put your tire, your back tire into that trainer as opposed to a direct drive trainer where you take your back tire off, the trainer has a cassette on it, and you pop that chain over the cassette, and basically the trainer is your back wheel. So what are the what are the differences? Well, one, there's a big cost difference. One's that you put your back tire in contact with the with the trainer are usually cheaper. So if you're just getting into the indoor training world, I would recommend going that route is usually you can get them $600 or less, and they, they do have smart trainer options for that as well. So you can use third-party apps like Zwift. But one big downside is they do wear away at your tire. So you'll need to get a specific trainer tire unless you really just want to wear out those Grand Prix 4000s on there because they will wear out pretty quickly. So it does make the, I would say, adaptability of the trainer as a downside because unless you have two wheel sets which you might have it's hard to just take your bike off the trainer and go ride outdoors unless you want to change that tire every single time which it's not worth it for me to change that tire every single time just to go for a ride outside and then bring it back in indoors the next day especially in spring or when it's just starting to get cold it kind of be every other day you might be able to ride outside you might be able to ride inside and then also they usually don't aren't able to give or simulate gradients as well as a direct drive trainer. Some, you know, will usually only go up to 7% can replicate a, a gradient or maybe a max of 10%, whereas a direct drive trainer usually starts at that 12%, if not 15%, where they're able to hit those max gradients all the way up to like 20%. And where that comes in really key is with third-party apps like Zwift. So I've always had one where my tire made contact with the trainer and that trainer could only do a max of 7% on Zwift and that sucked when I was riding up gradients that were bigger than 7% because it was maxing out that trainer then and ultimately making it harder than what it really should be in real life because it was just maxing out that trainer and that it sucked because I was riding up these gradients maybe like an 8% nine percent gradient i'm like this should not be this hard it, it really shouldn't i was working way too hard i just I, I just thought i was you know i need to work on my fitness and then i adjusted my trainer settings and it was so much better and it felt like real world and then i realized too that i was maxing out the trainer and the gradient level that it could uh, simulate so i just got the wahoo kicker core it's coming in the next couple of days that can simulate up to 16 percent gradients which should cover majority of the things I'll be doing on Zwift. Also, direct drive trainer tends to have better stability and can replicate more of a real world feel. And you don't have to worry about 
putting on a new tire or using uh, your own back wheel. So what's really nice, I can pop that off the trainer, pop my rear back wheel in, and go for a ride. So all I'm doing is dropping that wheel in and out. Takes less than a minute to do if I want to go ride outside and I want to bring it in indoors. And so uh, I said take a sip of water. Which I don't know why this microphone is picking up like me drinking water. So apologies on that. But indoor training is super, super, super effective. You can get a very, very solid workout in in an hour or under an hour, which is definitely different than outdoors, I think. And because you indoors, you don't have to worry about traffic. You don't have to worry about hitting certain hills. You don't have to worry about going from a bike path to a road or, or for me, the roads I like to bike on are about a 15 minute ride away. So I use that 15 minutes as my warm up, and then I can really get into my training there, but I still have to worry about traffic. I have to worry about different elements. I have to worry about wind. I, there's a lot of things that go into training outdoors, which are amazing, but that are eliminated in, in indoor riding. You can hop on the bike, get your warm up done in 10 minutes, and then automatically start going into whatever type of interval training you want to do, zone training you want to do, all of that stuff. And you never have to worry about, well, do I have a long enough stretch of road in order to hit this sprint? None of that stuff. It is all so contained indoors and you can just get a solid workout in, in an hour. You know, when I'm on the bike outdoors, kind of that hour and a half to two hours is a pretty general training session for me, depending on what I'm doing whether it go longer or shorter than that, but for the most part, it sits in that. Indoors, though, it, a lot of it's 45 minutes to an hour and a half because you can just get a great session in. In that time, hit all of your your training zones, your intervals, your heart rates, all that stuff. It just comes so much quicker and so much more concise. Also, using something like Zwift, I have all of my data that I can just stare at the entire time, whereas out on the road, you have to look up, and you look down at your computer quickly, look up, look down, and you're always trying to kind of play this game of I want to keep my eyes on the road, but I also want to make sure I'm hitting my numbers. And so it's really nice to look at your numbers the entire time without having to worry about steering, without having to worry about getting hit by a car. All that stuff is taken care of. Also, Zwift. So if you don't know what Zwift is, basically it's like a video game for cycling. You hook up your bike to it, and it can simulate. Well, you hook up your bike to the trainer. Trainer connects with Zwift on your computer. And now you have this virtual reality world that you can go bike in where you can do races, group rides, you can ride up mountains, you can ride down mountains, you can do training programs, and they have so many training programs for you to use, which is absolutely amazing and already lays everything out for you. All you got to do is do an FTP, t FTP test, plug those numbers in, therefore it spits out a bunch of training programs for you, and it's awesome. So I highly recommend using Zwift. I think it's like $10 a month, definitely worth it if you want to get the most out of your training this winter. So if you do not have a trainer right now, recommend going getting one where your back wheel connects to the trainer. I'd recommend getting a smart trainer, though, so then you can use things like Zwift and all of that good stuff. You can really take your training to a whole new level. Now, if you've been using those tire-to-trainer contact trainers, I would recommend going up to that direct drive trainer. That's what I'm doing this year. And I'll be reporting more on that once I've actually had a chance to use the Wahoo Kicker Core. Because everything that I've heard, it's going to take your training, again, a next level up. 
better stiffness, and I love that I'm going to be able to just swap out my back wheel and go for a ride outdoors because in the springtime, that is super crucial when you get a little bit tired of indoor training just to pop that back wheel in. But also in the summer, if I have a training day and then it's raining outside, well, I had about a two-hour window to train. It's raining outside. I don't really want to go bike outside, so now I can bring that bike indoors, take out that back wheel, pop it up to my or connect it to my trainer, therefore go for my training ride. So that's what I got in training. Go get an indoor trainer. I recommend a smart one. Get a regular one if you just want to test it out. You can get it for like 200 bucks, $150, pretty cheap if you just want to kind of test the waters of indoor cycling. Smart trainers make it so ex- so much more exciting though to bike indoors because I can race people in the middle of winter. I can do a race almost every single day if I want, every weekend if I want. I can do it whenever I want with Zwift. So that's what we got for today's Cycling with Watts podcast. Again, I am your host, Jared Watts. This is the 10th episode, so I'm still new on this whole podcast journey, and I thank you so much for tuning in. You know, every week, every day, basically, my my listens are going up, and that's thankful to you guys, and I want to do more and more and bring you guys more and more knowledge. One of my big goals for this podcast is start tapping into the wealth of knowledge that is here in Minnesota. We have a ton of great bike brands here, a ton of great people in the cycling industry, and I want to start bringing them in on this podcast to interview them, get their insights, get their knowledge, and share it out to you guys. So that's really my my big goal, and just sharing the knowledge that I have. I'm a mechanic for Velofix, which is a mobile bike service. comes right to your house to take care of any and all of your bike problems. And so the things that I'm learning every day at Velofix I want to share with you guys, I'm new to this training and racing scene, and so I'm learning every day from that standpoint, and I'm trying to share things that I wish I knew when I first got into it, and so I didn't feel as scared and all of that stuff. I'm trying to bring that to to you guys, so so thankful for tuning in to episode 10. If you want to get more Cycling with Watts content, you can find me at Instagram, Cycling with Watts, on Instagram, on Twitter, Cycling with Watts, however, Cycling, W-T-H, watts cycling wth watts on twitter find my blog at cyclingwithwatts.com and working on an email so you guys can send in your questions and have better contact with all of you through email as well that's coming down the road so thank you so much for tuning in today i hope you all get out on your bikes you learned a little bit from this training tips that you're going to just run out there and spend 500 dollars on a on a new trainer but thank you so much have a great day and uh Put that head down, keep those elbows tucked, and pedal like hell. Thank you so much for listening to Cycling with Watts. Podcast.